I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, my fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin. I'm the Grim Reaper and the host of this show. Welcome back to R.I.P. Diets. We're in season three, baby. The day has finally come. I took an extended break from the podcast and I'm actually feeling so refreshed and so excited to be back with all of you. I have so much to share with you and so many great guests on the roster for this season. If you're a brand new listener, welcome. This podcast is all about breaking free from diet culture. We talk about body image, eating disorder recovery, body liberation, and body acceptance. My body acceptance journey has been a huge part of my life and my personal identity. So it's my mission to share what I've learned along the way and talk to other people about their unique experiences. This is also a place for advice about anything and everything body image related. If you're in need of advice, you can send me an email at ripdiets at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at lubination. Also, follow the podcast at ripdiets on Instagram for a daily dose of body positivity in your feed and updates about the podcast. And while I'm plugging away, I'll also encourage you guys to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash RIP diets for bonus episodes, videos, vlogs, and an overall more intimate look at my recovery and my life as a body neutral warrior of sorts. I have a fabulous guest to introduce you to, but first, just an update on what's been going on with me. This summer has been huge for me in terms of my body acceptance journey. I've been thinking about how I want to talk about this because it's a little bit tricky. As many of you know, I do not weigh myself and I haven't weighed myself in about five years since I started recovering from the eating disorder that completely hijacked my life. And this was about the same time I started my intuitive eating practice. By the way, if you want to learn more about intuitive eating specifically, I'd recommend you listen to the first season of this show when I went through all the principles of intuitive eating and how to realistically adopt those principles. But anyway, this past spring into summer, pretty much since everyone I know got the COVID vaccine, I started socializing with more people And I started hearing a lot of comments about weight that I had lost, which I mostly brushed off and I kind of reduced those comments to, oh, these people just haven't seen me in a while and they forgot what I look like. But I kept hearing them over and over again. My closest friends know that I've struggled with an eating disorder and they know not to comment on my body. But I definitely still have friends or acquaintances that don't quite get it or don't know the extent of it. And they'll still say super diet culture things in my presence. And those people 
we're saying things like, how did you get in such good shape? Or you got so skinny? Or how did you lose weight? And over time, I realized that I actually just lost weight naturally and without even thinking about it. What's crazy to me is that there were so many years of me trying desperately to control my weight and feeling so unsafe and out of control around food. And back then, the thought of losing weight without trying or without noticing would have seemed insane to me. I would never have believed that could happen. But this experience really confirmed for me what I've known since starting intuitive eating, which is that trying to control your body is a losing battle. And the more you try to control it, the more out of control you will feel. It's only when you heal your relationship with food and truly listen to your body and respond to what it needs that you can reach a stable place physically and mentally. But in the past couple months, I did feel that The comments from other people about my weight made me think about my body more than I would like to. These comments, however well-intentioned, started giving me anxiety about the fact that they noticed my weight loss and they saw it as a positive thing because I started thinking that if I gained weight, people would also notice and think it was a negative thing. Basically, my eating disorder voice was chiming in saying things like, okay, you better figure out what's been different and why you've lost weight and then keep doing that because people think you look good and otherwise they'll think you look terrible. And this was really starting to depress me and send me back to a bad place. So I went back to basics. I reviewed the principles of intuitive eating and really started to check myself when it was time to eat. For example, if I found myself hesitating to eat a certain food, I would take a pause and ask myself, do you really not want this food or are you experiencing fear around the food? And if the answer was that I was experiencing fear around the food, I would go ahead and eat the food because I know that avoiding it would only make me more fearful and eating it would only confirm for me that food is nothing to be afraid of. So I'm holding myself accountable and refusing to be overly affected by whatever comments I've heard about my body. I know that if I do fluctuate or if my weight changes I'm still living my healthiest, happiest life and I won't sacrifice my freedom around food because food freedom has done nothing but drastically improve my quality of life. So thanks for listening to that. I always want to keep myself accountable on this show. And now we can get into today's conversation with the gorgeous and flawless content creator, Daphne Fisher. Daphne is such an inspirational woman, and I'm so happy to have gotten to meet her and talk with her about exercise addiction and practical ways to overcome it. I, up till now, haven't had the chance to really talk about exercise addiction because I haven't personally experienced it to the degree that many people have. Um, In case you are not aware, exercise addiction 
is defined as an unhealthy obsession with physical exercise. And some people consider it to be a form of bulimia because of the need to shed the calories that you've consumed by repeating certain behaviors, in this case, exercise. Daphne has struggled with exercise addiction among other disordered eating behaviors. And she went in depth with me about how it started, when she realized it was a problem, and the practical steps she took to break that cycle. If you struggle with having a healthy relationship with exercise or feeling anxious around exercise, I think you'll take a lot away from her story. So I'm just going to stop gabbing and get right into this conversation with today's guest, Daphne Fisher. My guest today is somebody who's been on my list for a while. This is somebody that I followed when I was in recovery, and I'm so excited that I get to have a one-on-one conversation with her. She is a former YouTube queen. She's moving away from YouTube, which we will talk about. I have told my audience like about my deep fascination with YouTube because I am a podcaster. I come from the world of podcasting and we similarly have like very small communities that work very particularly and have, you know, we all have our issues with the platforms and whatnot. And I I hear so much shit about YouTube and I'd love to get into that too, but not to ramble, everybody welcome to the show, Daphne Fisher. Hi. Hi, so glad to have you. I'm so happy to be here. So like I said, when I was in uh, active recovery, so probably about four, three, four years ago, I was on YouTube and um, and I discovered a few key players uh, I've named them before on the show. I followed Jen Brett, who I'm sure yes. you've heard of, uh, Macy Eleni, who I yes. know you're friends with, yep. um, and a couple others. And you were like right in my rotation. And the reason why I loved your channel was because you of your personality. Like you're so down to earth. You explain things very well. And you also have this like earth mother energy. I don't know if you've Thank heard this you. before. Yeah. Like I I just, I would sometimes just kind of listen to your voice and it would almost calm me down. You're, you're very, I I would be curious. Are you an earth sign? Uh, I'm in Taurus moon. So Pisces sun, Taurus moon. So yeah, earth moon. Most of my chart is water and earth. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm so glad that you knew like the most detailed answer to that question. I can tell we're going to get along. I, you know, my chart is like one of those things. I don't relate to it at all. Really? Um, Yeah. And when I tell people what it is, they always think it's scary. I'll tell you what it is. You're you're like into astrology. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm a Virgo sun. Uh, I am a Gemini moon and a Scorpio rising. I'm a Scorpio rising. Are you? Yes. (laughs) Don't people think Scorpios are like 
crazy people like isn't that a thing like Scorpios be well like the Scorpios get a better okay so the way I like because Scorpio is technically a water sign so the way I like to think about it is like the three water signs are Pisces Cancer and Scorpio and Cancers are kind of like the cry babies you know like that's what everyone thinks of them as like oh you're a Cancer you cry all the time Pisces are like <laughs> kind of the delusional ones like we're off in our own you know fantasy world essentially in a different reality and Scorpios are like emotional in like we're not afraid of the dark shit you know like yeah we'll, we'll go to those dark places which is why I think people think Scorpios are scary but it's just like we don't have time for the bullshit like let's get to the real stuff Ooh, I love that I love yeah. that and that actually that makes a lot of sense astrology is one of those things that like I don't believe in it really but mm. I want to, and yeah. I still know way too much about it to actually not be interested. So I'm always asking people what their sign is, but I'm like, I do but too. it's bullshit. You know, I'm like, it's like a double edged sword for me. Um, I would love to talk to you. I kind of briefed you before the show, mm -hmm. but I know that you've struggled in the past with exercise addiction, and yeah. I would love to just like hear a little bit about that. What was your relationship to exercise when you were growing up? What yeah. was the role that it played like in your family? Like, did your parents encourage you to, to be physically fit or play sports and kind of like how it changed into an addiction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I would say like growing up, I, I came came from a very active family like my dad was in the marines for years so like he was always a really fit dude and my mom was always very much into exercise and being healthy and so like even as kids like we were always in gymnastics and karate and dance and soccer and like always doing extracurricular sports just constantly um, yeah. I remember I even did like we did like p90x as a family when I was no in like way middle school or something yeah we like oh, for okay for those of you who are not familiar that's like the insanity workout like yeah. the home videotapes yeah. like you're doing burpees and shit yeah, yeah that's yeah. insane exactly we did I was like in middle school or something um and the older I got the more serious we got about our sports so like my sister kind of picked soccer and that was her thing she did it constantly and I picked dance and so like I was in the dance studio for like 20 to 30 hours a week. Like I just go from wow. to dance. What dance kind of dance did you do? I did a bunch. I did ballet, tap, jazz, hip hop, contemporary, like, wow. It was just my life. <laughs> um, I actually used to want to be a ballerina. It tells you everything you need to know. Oh, um, such discipline, such and abuse. I got, oh my God. I was going to say, I got really deep into it. I did like some really prestigious programs and was like, I want to do this. And then you just have one too many mean Russian ballet teachers who hit you with a stick and tell you you're fat and that you suck. And you're just like, Actually, I've heard that before. The with a stick thing is something yes. that I've heard. Like they, they smack you in the ribs and tell you to yeah, suck in your this, gut. And yep. I, that feet. is so, that's crazy. <laughs> that's like the only place that corporal punishment is. Still I know. Acceptable. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sure if like there are certain, like, cause I, I still really, I'll like watch videos of ballerinas and get nostalgic and be like, oh, I wish I'd kept up with it. And I do, I can't really speak to it, but I do feel like the landscape of ballet has, has shifted since I was a kid. I'm pretty positive. It's probably still very toxic and yeah, must be very skinny, but I, I do think they've maybe made some progress. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I have noticed that there are more, you know, adult 
programs for ballet that are inclusive and you know there's definitely recreational ballet that you can do at any size and and where they don't emphasize being a certain size but professional ballet is still very much the same I believe yeah yeah exactly which is why I was like oh I I actually don't think I enjoy this anymore yeah what's the how old were you at that point um I so pretty much what happened is like I was dancing like an intense amount weekly uh well into high school I think I was around like 15 or 16 when um I was around 14 or 15 when I started getting serious about acting I my whole life I was like it's dance it's dance it's dance and then I kind of had this shift that was like oh I actually really love acting maybe this is what I want to do so when I got serious about acting um I ended up moving to LA at 16 and when I moved I obviously like left my dance studio and which at that point like that was my whole community those were all my friends I was I was dancing six seven days a week for all like hours and hours and hours and then I went to LA and I like didn't have that anymore um I did I was like I don't have any sports I didn't I didn't really have at that point in my life a structure for exercise outside of dance because I didn't like exercising quote-unquote wasn't like a thing to me so I well I dance all the time right and you probably didn't even have time yeah <laughs> exactly like what am I going to do a hit workout in the morning before I go <laughs> right no. um so yeah so I think my relationship really started to shift my relationship to exercise really started to shift when I moved to LA because um like I had I had no friends or family or network or anything um, when I moved out here. So I kind of just was, was like, essentially, I was already in my eating disorder at that point. And like, everything just kind of got worse and intensified, because that need for control just like really grew, because everything else in my life was so far outside of my control. And I knew no one. And it was like, really lonely and scary. So um, that's kind of when I picked up running because that's an easy thing to do. Right? Right. <laughs> Don't need much for it. Um, and I had run track and field in high school. So I was like, well, I'll do this. Um, and oh boy, <laughs> did I do it? <laughs> so would you get up in the morning and start your day with a run? Like take me through your day at that point. Yeah, I, well, I was doing, I was finishing high school online. So I was kind of left to my own devices um, to sort that out. Like no one was really in charge of me or checking in on me. So I'd I'd wake up, I'd go for a run, I'd do my schoolwork or whatever, which wasn't very hard at all. Online programs have certainly got gotten better since I was in high school yeah yeah I can imagine I can imagine there's like a lot because there's so much that you can get away with just in normal high school like you can get away with reading only one chapter of the book like whatever like I'm sure you can get away with so much by yourself so much yeah and 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 by the way like how were your parents just totally fine with you moving to LA and finishing high school by yourself Uh, that's a whole other story in and of itself, but essentially I originally moved out to LA with a, with a legal guardian who was Uh, with me for a short period of time. It's things happened that are not my story to tell, but, um, essentially she ended up leaving and yeah, at the, 
at the time, I was probably about 17 at that point. I had my driver's license. I'd taken the chess piece, so which is like a high school proficiency exam, so I could work legal 18. Oh, so I didn't okay. need a parental guardian with me to work. Um, and so my parents were just kind of like, well, will, will you be okay? And I was like, yeah. And I've since asked them, like, why did you let me do that? Like, I was so clearly sick and unwell and and like alone at that point in the city that I didn't know. And I had a lot of resentment about that for a while. Like, why didn't you guys, why did you let me do that? And my mom actually told me uh, a while later, she was like, well, I kind of knew that at that point, like your dreams were the only thing that you had. And if I were to take them away from you, I was scared that you would then have nothing and that it would get worse. And I was like, Oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That really, but, but I do think it's definitely relevant to what we're talking about. Cause we're talking about a 17 year old that mm-hmm. has way more freedom and autonomy than most other 17 year olds yeah. do. Yeah. And so like, I, f- I feel like almost anybody would turn to something for a sense exactly. of control. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. So what, so what did the exercise look like? I'm sorry, I got off. Yeah. So it kind of, it's okay. I do that all the time. (laughs) So it kind of, it like worked and shifted a lot over the years because I struggled with it for, for quite a number of years, but it really started with running and, you know, it was kind of innocent, like, oh, I just want to be able to like run a mile, you know? And then from there, it just, cause, cause I feel like the thing about exercise addiction, which is the same as like with anorexia in general, is like you kind of just start one-upping yourself. Like if one day you go a little bit further, then the next day you have to at least meet that, if not like go even further than that, you know, like with you failed. Yeah, exactly. So it just kind of became this self-fulfilling prophecy of like slowly I just got, you know, more and more like sucked into it because then if there was one day where I like I was bored because I had nothing to do. So I was like, let me go for a second run in the afternoon. I then had to run twice a day, every day. Like it was just. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, it, kept, like, it was yeah. like a domino effect kind of. Oh yeah. And I would run, th- I ran through shin splints, the flu. Who baby. Uh, like injuries. Like I would literally stop, throw up, get back on the treadmill, keep going. Like wow. was, nothing could get me to stop. Absolutely nothing. Like and Thanksgiving morning, you're up at 6 a.m. running. Yeah. Oh Christmas my God, morning. Yeah. Like it yeah. doesn't matter what day of the year it is. You're no, doing. I would have like literal panic attacks. Like if something were to make it, like if I had, if I was flying home for the holidays and my flight was at like 7 a.m. So I had to go to, I had to like leave for the airport at like 4.30 or 5 or whatever. And like, obviously the gym wasn't open at 2 a.m. I would freak out like it would mess up my whole day if I couldn't figure out how to like get that exercise in, you know oh my gosh so, so when do you realize that it's a problem oh that's a great question I mean I think in the back of your mind like you always kind of know it's just that denial of like um it's no, like yeah this I'm, is a problem but it also yeah. it also helps me like, it also helps me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that was the thing is like, I reached a point where I like, I knew I was in trouble and I knew it was a problem, but I didn't have any resources to know like how to fix it or how to stop. 
Um, because like at that point it really does feel life or death, you know, it's just like, so, um, a part of my daily routine and a part of like my belief system that if I don't do this, I am like inherently unworthy and I might as well, like, you know, not even exist, you know, like it, it was that level of, of life or death for me. So I didn't have as like a 18 year old, 19 year old, I was like, I don't, I mean, how do you just stop doing that? I don't know, you know? Right, right. Well, and I'm sure if you didn't do it, like there were definitely times that I was addicted to exercise, but not, definitely not quite as severe, but like I had to do it every day. Yeah. And even that I think is problematic because it means that Mm -hmm. if one day you're thrown off your routine, let's say you don't have time, like you just don't have time. You have meetings all day or you just, you have plans and you can't fit it in. Mm -hmm. You feel like a piece of shit. shit. And it's, and it's like how, like at that point is when I think you can draw the line between like, this is a healthy thing and this is an obsession. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing for me is like, obviously it warped and changed over the years. It wasn't always running. I would try different things. I'd be like, okay, well, running is obviously very addicting to me. Why don't I try doing, you know, weightlifting instead? Or why don't I try doing, I'll go back to dance. Why don't I try that instead? And it just became this thing that like, no matter what I did, like you said, it was like, it didn't matter if it, it wasn't even that distressing to my body. It was the the reaction that you then have to like, if like, what, what is my reasoning for doing it? Is it because it makes me feel good? And I, it gives me like, you know, dopamine and I have a good time. Or is it because I genuinely feel like if I don't do it, um, I'm worthless. Right. You know, my body is going to fall apart, you know, like just kind of analyzing my reasoning for doing it, which is why I ended up taking, like, I think I stopped exercising for about a year and a half or two years. Like I had to quit entirely because I just, all roads led back to addiction. Wow. And how did you make that decision? Were you in therapy at that point or did you decide that on your own? I was in therapy, but I wasn't working with a therapist who like specialized in eating disorders who I, I've since sought one out, but Um, so she kind of didn't quite get it. So like a lot of times I'd be like, I think this is a problem. And I feel like anyone who doesn't quite understand the language and rhetoric around like recovery is kind of more predisposed to talking in like diet culture terms, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as long as you like, like exercise is good for you, like all that, like in moderation stuff. And they don't, she just didn't fully understand like, no, 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 no. This is like a, this is a legitimate problem. And and it's painful for me. It's, it's causing pain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Deeply. Um, so then you so decide to stop for, 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 oh, go ahead. I was going to say the reason I decided to stop is because um, I, I couldn't get my period to come back no matter what I did. Like even when I was weight restored, like all that stuff, it just wouldn't come back and at that point I think I was like 20 and I was like I I'd had my eating disorder for so long I'd never even actually started my period like because it kind of started when I hit puberty so I'd literally like I was 20 and still had never had a period and I was like wow this is a problem yeah so I ended up working with someone who like 
kind of specialized in hormones and all that stuff. And she was the one who was like, you, ha you have to stop. And it scared the absolute crap out of me. I was like, I don't know that I can do that. Yeah. So but, was that coupled with intuitive eating? Um, I, I don't know that I had the language for like intuitive eating at the time. Yes, essentially it was. But um, because prior to that, you had restricted your food also, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's, oh, actually, I shouldn't say anyone. For me, my experience with my eating disorders, I'd had it for such a long time that it had changed so much over the years. You know, sometimes yeah. it was like classic restriction. Other times it was binge purge. Other times it was orthorexia. You know, you yeah, just it evolves of, into many yeah. different things. Yeah. I've talked about that too, because like for me, it was you know, growing up, I was definitely a binge eater. Like I turned mm -hmm. to food for comfort, but then I doubled down the other way to try to lose weight. And then yep. I got caught in that cycle and then yep. I couldn't keep up with it. So then the binge purge thing, yep. it's all connected. Like yep. you have to break that cycle completely to yep. rid yourself of all of it. Mm -hmm. So I think the I did. I didn't really know what intuitive eating was at the time, but the specialist who I was working with was essentially like, it was kind of like more mini mod at the time. Like you need to be eating way more focus on mm -hmm. carbs, focus on fat, like eat, 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 So, so it was more like that of like, okay, you have to stop exercising. And like, this is, you need to be, you're here and you need to be like way up here in terms of what you're eating, like carry snacks with you at all times. And so um, that's kind of what I did. And still like after I quit exercising and was like, eating like that it's still probably I think I worked with her in October and it wasn't until the following July that I finally got my period so like it still took me a while which is why like I had to I had quit exercising for so long because I I over those months I really got I was like I have done such severe damage to my body yeah. that like she just needs a break and you kind of start to you know, I was so scared to quit exercising, like all of my worst fears, like I'm, you know, I'm gonna hate myself and my body and I'll, you know, I'll be worthless. No one will ever love me. Just like all that stuff. Um, kind of like exposure therapy and being forced into doing it. I realized that none of that stuff was true. <laughs> it, it's so crazy. It's so, it, it really, um, it really is a very grounding experience to just be able to throw out all of those rules and be like, wait a second, I, I actually can like myself without yeah. this stuff. And I can be happy with my body and I can be happy with how I feel. Like all of it can, really can come together. I don't yeah. need all of this stuff. But then also it's like, wow, I wish I knew that before. Like all of these things that we relied on so heavily as like, I need this to survive. Mm -hmm. We actually don't need it at all it was holding right. us back right but then like having the compassion for yourself of like okay but that younger more naive version of me like she she did need that to survive mm -hmm. I mean I was 17 years old in a city that I didn't know with no support system whatsoever like yeah I did I did what I had to do to yeah survive, and I can't fault her for that but it is truly not serving me anymore and I need to stop Mm -hmm. yeah so how was your body image during that 
one to two years that you took completely off exercise how did it change like did you suffer from Um, body dysmorphia oh my god yeah but I was gonna say like it would fluctuate and uh, like sometimes I would be like I don't care you know body neutrality this is what my body is and then other times I would be like oh my god I hate myself so much so much and and learning how to um sit through those days and put on a big t-shirt and cover all my mirrors and be like, I'm just not going to think about it today. That's fine. Would you actually physically cover your mirrors? Yeah. Or I'd like, I'd flip them around. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's actually my apartment, but (laughs) you don't have that many. Well, (laughs) um, all right. Clearly not a narcissist. (laughs) I have a lot. Um, but that's actually a really good suggestion, I think, because it really does smack you in the face sometimes. Like you feel good one day and then the mm-hmm. next day it just smacks you in the face. Like mm-hmm. I feel awful about myself. And that's like a very tangible thing that you can do. Yes. Just cover your mirrors and you don't have to think about it for a little while. And it kind of then, because I, I didn't have the tools at the time to like not body check, you know, like I still oh, was yeah. like, I have to. And so if I covered them, it's like, harder to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if I've talked about body checking, but like for anybody who doesn't know, body checking is just like, and a good example that, that I think of is when I used to wake up in the morning, the first thing I would do would be to grab my stomach and like Mm -hmm. feel my stomach. I'd look at it in the mirror. I'd turn to Mm -hmm. the side, like to see I guess to see like if everything was okay down there, like I, I thought that it could change overnight and that I I just had a distorted image of my stomach. So I was constantly checking it, touching it. Mm -hmm. Anything like that is body checking, but also more than that. Like some people do it with photos, some people Mm -hmm. do it with videos or just every time they pass by a mirror, they need to do a little 360. Like there's Mm -hmm. all sorts of things that people do to, and what, what did yours look like? Um, my body checking manifested in a lot of different ways, you know, kind of similar to yours, just like, um, checking how I, how my stomach looked in the mirror or every time I went to use the bathroom, I would like look down and check and make sure that my stomach like looked the correct way. But also like I oftentimes would use, um, my clothes as a way of body checking too. Like if it felt like my waistband was fitting differently, Uh... like it was like, touch like touching my body in a different way that would be like an indicator to my mind of like oh you're messing up (laughs) right um yeah so so that's that body checking was one of the ones that probably was like a habit that took the one of the longest amounts of time to kick because it just became so habitual right and it's a little bit doing it yeah, it's almost a little bit OCD. It's like yeah. almost a little bit like you don't even realize you're doing it half the time when you're mm-hmm. doing it. So that definitely is like something that people should look out for. I mean, I think people do it even if they don't have, quote, eating yeah. disorders. You know right. what I mean? Like, I think it's it's probably a, a fairly, I don't want to use the word normal. It's a fairly common thing. Yeah. Do, I think. I agree. and And I think the thing... I might not have like the proper words for this, but I, I feel like we're taught to look at ourselves in such like zoomed in images in that like when we when we see ourselves, we're often only seeing like 
like a, a piece of, of ourselves, our stomach, our arms, or I hate my way that my nose does this or my face does that, or I wish this looked like this. And, and I, I don't think we're really taught to zoom out and, and look at the full image of like who we are and what we actually look like and how others around us perceive us. Um, yeah. And so kind of, that was one of the things that helped me stop body checking is like to not be so like zoomed in when Mm -hmm. I looked at myself and instead tried to see the full picture. Yeah. Um, That, that's a really big thing. I I have also talked about, about that as as far as like, we become very obsessed with certain parts of our body mm -hmm. that nobody's, nobody's looking at your thighs with a magnifying glass. Like Mm -hmm. that, the, um, the weight of it, so to speak, is completely like in your head in that right. sense. Right. Yeah. So I, I would love to hear like, how did you, uh, how did you go about like feeling better on a daily basis? Because, and, and you might still have bad days and that's fine. Like, oh, I think yeah. it's totally normal. Yeah. This is another thing. Like, it's totally normal for somebody to not always feel great about yeah. themselves or exactly. about their body. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to always feel like you're a goddess and, yeah. you know, you're, you're hot <laughs> shit. But what are, like, some practical ways that you've gone about just mm-hmm. feeling better about yourself in general or on a bad day helping yourself get out of that way of thinking? Right. I think, I mean, I might go on a, on a roundabout explanation here, but that's this okay. is kind of one of the reasons why I, I moved away from YouTube and, and talking about recovery in general. I, I don't really talk about it that much anymore. And that was because I, I think for me, like the concept of full recovery, which I, I fully believe in, um, got a little too obsessive. And like, I genuinely felt like I couldn't move forward with my life if I wasn't fully recovered first and it took me a bit of time to realize that actually immersing myself in my life and learning how to live my life is one of the most helpful things in moving towards full recovery but like I I felt like it's like my perfectionism just moved to my recovery and then I had to then be perfect in if I didn't love myself every day, if I didn't, you know, challenge my fear foods every day, if I didn't, like, it it just became this kind of new way of beating myself up. And I I think one of the um, biggest things that I've learned is just that it's okay if things take time, which is really hard to hear, because I'm one of the most impatient people. I'm like, no, I can do it now. It's yeah, fine. yeah. Fine You're like, now. let's create a schedule. Like, yeah. we'll make this happen in two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And, and giving myself the space for recovery to take time. And to, you know, like they always say, like, healing's not linear. Like mm-hmm. you do, you circle back sometimes. And you're like, oh, shit, I've been here before. Does that mean that I'm not doing well? And like, no, no, it's okay. Um, but, or even like, I, I think it's really to go a step further. Like it's how you respond to those moments. Mm-hmm. Like yes, if exactly. you respond to, let's say binging was your thing. Like if you mm-hmm. respond and, and you, um, you fall back into, to binge eating. Mm-hmm. If you respond to that by then saying, 
okay, well, clearly this is not working. Clearly I'm not doing recovery, right? Okay. I'm going to restrict now. And then, and then I'll figure out what to do later. You you're opening yourself up to fall back into that cycle. And that that's going to actually set you back, not the binge itself. Exactly. But like I was saying, like, I think, um, it was, it was just like genuinely kind of eye-opening for me, especially as someone who made content about recovery is, is like, I, I loved making that content, but it reached a certain point where I was just trying to be a thing that I wasn't for other people. And I had all of this guilt and shame if I, if I felt certain ways or I had bad days or like, I just, I, I was like, this is hindering me, um, which is why I moved away from from making that type of stuff um but I think when yeah I'm like trying to find my train of thought again oh that's all right I'm following thank you (laughs) I think what I'm trying to say is um wow words finding the things in my life that actually make me excited about living my life because you know your eating disorder takes so much of it from you like it was genuinely only thing I had at certain points in my life. Um, I didn't know what I want. I didn't know what I wanted or who I wanted to be or who I was or where I was going, like any of that stuff. Um, And so focusing on things that actually make you excited to be alive. Yeah, exactly. I I heard this thing a little while ago that was like, um, like at a certain point you have to commit to living and that there's a certain there's a thing called like passive suicide essentially where like you're not you don't actively want to die but you're kind of just okay like you're just sort of letting life take you right you're just kind of cruising yeah and I I kind of realized that I was like oh I stopped really fighting for my life and um and I would like to start living it again and being excited about it. And I'm still figuring that out. I think that's the other thing is that we change so much as individuals. We think we're going to reach this like stagnant point where we're like, I'm happy now. I did it. I'm good. I know mm-hmm. it all. I've got all the answers. And that doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it doesn't exist. I think like becoming an adult for, for me, like I'm in my early thirties and, um, mm-hmm. and the more you realize that like, you're never going to achieve nope. constant happiness, mm. the more consistently happy you'll actually be Yes, because you won't feel so bad about yourself every yes. time you're depressed. You know, exactly. that's what I said. That's what I said um, to my friends. I was like, my goal right now is consistent contentedness. I don't need to be happy all the time, but if I can find, and I don't even need to be content all the time, but if I can be like more consistently, just like at peace in my life, like, oh, I like this. That's my goal. That's my goal. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that's a beautiful sentiment. That's, and I think that's a great thing to end on, but tell the listeners what you're working on now and where to find you, follow you, consume you, all of that. Yeah. I'm on, most of my platforms are just my name, Daphne Fisher. I'm on Instagram, mostly on Instagram. Um, I still have like a few videos up on my YouTube. I just privated them most of them until I was like, I might put them back up on public. I don't know, but I just kind of wanted to not be in the recovery space for a minute. I think that's (laughs) totally fair because I I know from starting this podcast a year ago, how much people 
grow to rely on you. Mm-hmm. And it's not a bad thing. Like it, it actually gives me, um, it gives me more of a sense of, of purpose and like feeling yeah. like I'm able to help people, but it can be overwhelming. Like it, right. you, you need to find a balance that's good for you. Yeah. And yeah. the videos Absolutely. that you kept up, were they just particularly um, important to you or why did you keep those particular ones up? The videos I kept up were the last few that I made, which were literally, they were like eat with me videos where I was just okay. like, I would make breakfast and I'd sit down and I'd eat it. And I'd talk as if I was like having meals with people. And I think See, I like, love those. I love, I, I, I do those on Patreon and um, I love doing them because it's, you're talking to a screen, but you feel like you're not alone having a snack. Like there's just something exactly. nice about and- it. I think the reason I kept them up was one, I was really proud. This is going to sound stupid, but like aesthetically, like I was really proud. You kind of talked in the beginning about like my, the energy that I gave up, like mm-hmm. those videos in particular, like they felt like videos that I would have loved to watch when I was really struggling with my um, disorder, you know? So I was like, no, I feel like these ones, these are a good one just leave up there they weren't even particularly talking about um eating disorder stuff it's just like if you are having a hard time eating or you're feeling really alone just like we'll eat together so those are where I left them okay up. guys check it out have a snack <laughs> with Daphne why Someone, the fuck one not? of them actually got put into um I can't remember which online magazine but some online publication like posted one of my videos in one of their articles and I had no idea until like a follower of mine pointed it out and I was like oh my god oh that's so funny well I guess it was the right one to keep up then yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) well thank you so much for coming on the show I hope that we can have you on again because this is like a this is a huge thing and anybody who has questions by the way for Daphne direct them to me and um, I'll be happy to answer more questions about I would love exercise to come on again. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, but thank you again. And um, we will see you guys next week. All right. All right. All right. That was today's conversation with Daphne Fisher. I hope you guys loved her as much as I do. And if you struggle with exercise, once again, I hope that you could take something away from this conversation. Once again, you guys, you can follow me on Instagram at Lubination or follow the podcast at RIP Diets. Both great follows, if I do say so myself. And we are going to be back weekly for 25 episodes this season. Can't wait. I have so much to share with you guys and so much that I want to get into. I'm going to get more into busting diet culture myths, which I really enjoy doing for my own education and for your guys's ed- education as well. One of the diet culture myths that I am really looking forward to busting is the myth that dairy should be avoided at all costs and kind of explaining the rise of plant-based milks as alternatives to regular milk. That is one that I think Uh, would be beneficial to a lot of people. And I'm also going to continue to have fabulous guests on the show to talk about their personal experiences with eating disorders, disordered eating, dieting, diet culture, body liberation, body acceptance. We're going to get into all of it. So come along this journey with me. Season three of RIP Diets is going to be one for the books, people. I'll see you next week with a brand new edition of RIP Diets.
Peace the fuck out. Peace the fuck out.